Alright. So we are on the paragraph that starts east starts yet in as much on the right hand column. Yet, inasmuch as the evil in the heart, left part of the heart of the Baini is in its innate strength, craving after all the pleasures of this world, not having been nullified as minuteness in relation to the good, nor having been relegated from its position to any degree, except insofar as no authority and power to diffuse itself the limbs of the body, because the Holy he stands at the right hand of the poor man, helping him and narrating his divine soul, such a person is likened to a wicked man. So the idea is that despite all of the work of the Baini, the animal soul has in no way um, been, that's a good word, um, relegated from its position. What does that mean, relegated from its position? Removed. Yeah. The only, what? Right. The only thing that has happened is that the animal soul has no authority over the body, over the limbs, over the person's behavior. So, that is so annoying. All of a sudden I feel like I can think again. Amazon. <laughs> okay. Now, what is the altar telling us? The altar was telling us is something which is rather unpleasant. There are things in life where you can progress, but you never reach a certain level. And others do reach that level. Um, what would be an example of that? Like, you can work financially to be in a better financial position, right? Now, does that ever mean you'll be get to the point that you that money will be no object for you? Not necessarily. Probably not. Are there people who are so wealthy that money is not an object that literally the cost of something is an irrelevant factor mm -hmm. in making decisions about what they purchase? Yes, there are people like that. Um, and you can even calculate how much money you would need for that. Um, there was once somebody who was going to one of these like seminars about like how to like improve your life and get your dreams and meet your goals and and he's like I want to be a you want to have like a billion dollars or some crazy amount of money and the person somewhere is like why so because I want to have a I want to have like a you know my own private island vacation and I want to have a private jet you know listing all the things that he wanted right and so the the person was trying to illustrate a point he says okay well let's let's you know, how much does that cost, right? How often do you want to go to a private island on vacation? Once a month? Twice a month? It's like, yeah, three times, four times a year. It's like, okay, well, how much does that cost? How much does it cost to have, how much does it cost to have a private check? How much is it, and it turns out, like, I needed a lot less money than he thought. <laughs> so there's your goal. You can meet it. You not meet it, right? And if you don't meet it, you still can get wealthier, right? So we have this animal soul, which is ungodly, driven towards unholy things, right? The desires of the world. And we have a tzaddik. A tzaddik is a person whose godly soul has um, nullified the animal soul. The animal soul has become supplanted 
by the godly soul in the life of the person. Right. Now, whether it's been truly transformed or not is a side point, but in the life of the person of a tzaddik, the godly soul has supplanted, has replaced the animal soul. That person is no longer motivated by anything of the animal soul, any ungodly drives. Okay. And the bainani is someone who's still motivated by ungodly drives, right? But, you know, the more you work on it, the better it gets, right? What did the Alter Rebbe say? That with the Bainani, it's not that they haven't reached the level of a tzaddik in the sense that, like, they're making progress, but they're not there yet. What does Alter Rebbe say? That all of the work that the Bainani has done has had how much effect on their animal soul? None. Zero, other than to curtail it so it doesn't actually influence the decisions they make about their behavior. Right? Only when it comes to the authority of the limbs of the body have they achieved anything. Right? So, has the person made any progress whatsoever in, in sublimating their animal soul towards God? No. So you're not even, you're like, no, no progress at all. Right? That's not a pleasant thing to think about, right? So, the first thing that I want to talk about is, do you think that's, I mean, obviously Dr. says it's true, but does that sound true? That no matter how much you work on it, your animal soul remains the same? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, what about how we can start to like appeal to our animal soul from the animal soul's perspective, and then the animal soul starts to want what the godly soul has convinced it to want, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but the animal soul is still not a godly soul. It's still I'm trying to I'm thinking it through because it feels like that's progression if it's starting to walk with the godly soul once. Well, I'm just going to read you a quote from chapter twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. By virtue of being sanctified with a great measure from above, this is talking about a baini, and being helped to expel it from his heart little by little. That abandoning can do service of God such that the evil in the left side of the heart is expelled little by little. And yet, what does it say over here? That he can't. Not at all, right? To any degree. So it's not just that in experience it seems to be not like what's being described in chapter 13. Even later on, the altar of it does acknowledge this in the idea of expelling the evil out of the animal soul little by little. There seems to be a bit of a, of a tension, of a contradiction here. I'm going to set that question aside and talk about a different question first. Okay. We learned previously that, that only the tzaddik gomer, the complete tzaddik, transforms the animal soul, Correct? Remember that? Have what? He doesn't have one. Because he transformed it. Right. Okay, there is a mitzvah to love Hashem with all your heart, and our sages say, even with the evil inclination. And Chassidah says that means that even your animal soul. Right, that's the idea. Is that mitzvah given exclusively to a tzaddik gomer, a complete tzaddik? No. So then how are we to understand the idea that on the one hand, only its complete tzaddik succeeds in transforming his animal soul. 
And yet the mitzvah to love Hashem, even with your animal soul, applies to every Jew. Because if we can understand that, then we can go back over here and talk about this idea of are we really changing the animal soul? We're not really changing the animal soul. Are we suppressing it? We're not suppressing it. It's not being achieved. It's not being achieved. Can you say that one more time? How we... there's, a, there's a mitzvah to love Hashem, even with your animal soul. And the Tanya said that only a perfect tzaddik succeeds in transforming his animal soul. So, unless you want to say that mitzvah was given exclusively to a perfect tzaddik, how do we then understand that we can all get our animal souls to love Hashem, and yet only the perfect tzaddik has transformed the animal soul? You don't have to transform your animal soul to love Hashem. Correct. But does that make sense? Yes, because putting in the effort is showing that you love Hashem to a certain degree. But it can't be you love Hashem, it has to be your animal. The animal soul has to be loving Hashem, right? That's the idea. The animal soul can love Hashem without being transformed. That's correct, but now I have to explain how. Well, you're appealing to the animal soul and the animal soul's lens, perception of the world. Very good. Right, the, the, the godly, the, 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 the let, let's think about the difference here. The, the perfect tzaddik transforms the animal soul by completely divesting it of any attachment to anything else. And then it's, able to, it's capable of being reshaped through the experiences of the godly soul. But what's happening with the with a regular person, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you are coming to realize that what? That what, what the animal soul wants can in some sense be best achieved through a close relationship with Hashem. So has the animal soul undergone a transformation? No. No. And let's go a little bit deeper. Does that mean that the animal soul truly has divested itself of its other attachments? In other words, the animal soul... The, the animal soul really likes to feel good. Okay? You can get the animal soul to realize that in a certain way, in a very maybe deep and profound way, being connected to a shadow and the meaning that you get from that makes you feel better than anything else. You could, you could get that, but that's in a certain sense. It's not going to feel better in every respect. Let's think about this as a simple example. What feels better, spending time with your children little children or eating cheesecake <laughs> feels better which feels better yeah, eating cheesecake eating cheesecake <laughs> eating cheesecake as an experience right proof right. being proof being proof being it's rare to find the parent that says please take the cheesecake away i want to like be more attuned to my children. I'm having such a good time with my children. The cheesecake is distracting. But it is, right? That's rare to find such a parent. But to find a parent is like, please take the child away so I can enjoy my cheesecake. And I was like, permanently, just for like 10 minutes, you said space for the cheesecake. So on a kind of a visceral level, yeah, it's much more immediate. It's much more on the other hand, if we look to the notion of being fulfilled, which experience is more fulfilling? Eating cheesecake or spending time with your child. Okay. 
So there's a genuine, right? Both feel good, but it, the, the, the goodness is of a different quality, right? The fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashad, who's on the bottom right, famously said that the, the real idea of free will is not to choose between what is right and what is wrong, but what is true and what is convenient. Right? Nobody's really, nobody's like, you know, I want to do the wrong thing. Right? That's generally not what happens. The appeal of the wrong thing is that it's more convenient. It's more comfortable. And the truth, well, it's more real, but it's, you know, has a higher cost. Okay, so you can get the animal soul to appreciate that and, and to work with that, especially if you talk about that, the rational soul gets into play. But at the end of the day, the fundamental fact that I want to feel good and eating food makes me feel good, getting compliments makes me feel good, having power makes me feel good, etc., etc., makes me feel good. Does that ever change by cultivating a love of Hashem? At best, you can get that my appreciation that, that feeling good through connecting to Hashem is more meaningful, more important, and use that to overcome these other attachments. Just one second, right? But those other attachments don't disappear. Right? And so when, when, a, when a person who's not a perfect tzaddik, or not a tzaddik at all, comes to love Hashem, the entire loving of Hashem is something that they have to um, cultivate and overcome themselves, right? They're... they're they're using one part of themselves to override another part of themselves. And even, yes, even though it's the animal soul, right? The animal soul's want, desire to feel good can be harnessed to back the idea of living a meaningful life, the connection to Hashem, which gives space for the godly soul, etc., etc., etc. But that has to override all of the other attachments and experiences that the animal soul is predisposed to. Those haven't disappeared in any way. Yeah. So does that mean that even when the animal soul loves Hashem, you know, understands, accepts that that's going to be the better life for it than eating cheesecake all day long, is it not making it bad, but is it always coming from a selfish place in the animal soul? I have this hang up about the word selfish. Okay, from a self-oriented place. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not, and it's not, in the bad way. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, yeah, no, 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 it's, it, God has become the means to pleasure. to pleasure, means to something. And that maybe got my animal soul to get on board. Have I, I given you the analogy before of the wagon driver? So there's the wagon driver. So the wagon driver gets hired by Chassid to go to Lubavitch, to go to the Rebbe. So the wagon driver wants to go to Lubavitch because he gets paid. The horse wants to go to Lubavitch because he's going to get fed. And the chassid wants to go to Lubavitch because he's going to see the Rebbe. So they're all going in the same direction. But they're not all going for the same reason. The animal soul, yeah, you get the animal soul to agree. But at the end of the day, the animal soul sees it all through the lens of being an animal. Yeah. And, and the thing is, that's artificial, right? That requires a lot of maintenance to maintain that. It's not... It's not instinctive or intrinsic to the animal soul at all, right? And underlying all of that, right? Which is, just think about this very simply, right? If you take the average person, right? Who lives like a decent, you know, life looking for things that are meaningful, and purposeful, and good relationships, connection with Shannon, blah, blah, all that good stuff, yeah? And you deprive them of food and sleep. 
Do they become more devout and God-fearing and patient and attentive to other people or less so? Why? Well, that's interesting. So what are their basic needs? Has that changed? With all the work they've done, right? Their basic needs are for food, for acknowledgement, for social validation, for a sense of control and stability, right? Those things have the right? You see what I'm saying? Like, like, like none of the work has actually changed that. All it's done is overridden that to various degrees of success. And therefore, it's a very simple question. Should a person go around thinking that they are somehow fundamentally better than, than the worst person? Let's think about the worst person, okay? The worst person, I don't want to like talk about something cosmically worse. The worst like regular person, okay? Like, I'm not talking about sociopaths, but regular people, right? So what's like, what's, can you imagine like you have a regular everyday person you met, you go to show with, you, you meet them at work, downright normal person, right? What's the worst they could possibly be? Yeah. They could be involved in a Ponzi scheme to deprive people of money, right? Right. They could engage in they could they could they could they could engage in serious acts of violence when they lose their temper, right? Right. Right. They could be living some kind of double life. Right. Right. Okay. Now, what is it in them? that makes that possible that isn't in you, that isn't in me? Nothing. Nothing. That's Dr. point. That doesn't change. That's still there. Wow. Frequency, intensity, and duration. Right? And what's changed for the Bainani is that this has become something that has no place to express itself in their behavior, right? They don't even dwell on it and fantasize about it, right? They're living their life on a different level from that but it's there. Because for it to not to be there, it would have to be suppressed in a very true way, in a very, in a very real way. That'd be a tzaddik. And so, right, that you, you, there's, I'm going to use a slightly different formulation of this idea. There's something that is known as the halo effect. Do you know what the halo effect is? The halo effect is that if you look at somebody and you see them in a very positive light, then it is, you naturally assume that only positive things can come from them. Okay. So, for instance, um, the assumption that if someone is a rabbi, then obviously everything they do is motivated by a fear of God and obviously Israel, right? Or if somebody is a, is a very popular teacher, then it must be that there's a good, right? See this idea? Okay. Now, our, our sages have a concept called which means be suspicious of him, but give him honor. Okay. If, some, if somebody comes, should we, if, we don't, if somebody comes and wants to stay in our home, for example, should we treat them with respect and assume that they're an upstanding good person? Yeah. Absolutely. Should we, is the corollary of being an upstanding good person that they're incapable of doing horrific things? So should we also be appropriately vigilant and cautious? Right? 
be suspicious, but also honoring. It's in the Gemara. I don't remember the exact page of the Gemara off the top of my head. If you Google Chashdehu Vekapdehu, or Kapdehu Vekapdehu, I don't remember which order it's in, you will find it. Rabbi Google will tell you exactly which page of Gemara it's from. Okay, what the context is when you meet people, someone you know, when you're, you're doing business with a person, when you're someone staying in your home, right? Yeah. What? Okay. Um, what should a person's view be of himself? Well, our sages say that you should never trust yourself until when? The day you die. The day you die. Why? Right? That, everything that makes the Russia a Russia is present in the Bainini, unchanged, undemoted, unmitigated, in its place. And the only difference is the degree to which it has influence, right? How curtailed it is, how contained it is. In other words, the Bainini is essentially engaged in an act of suppression. Right? They're suppressing the animal soul. And no matter how much you suppress something, you have not altered it. You have not changed it, right? The tzaddik has changed it. And the tzaddik, the animal soul has come to some degree of submission. Genuinely submits to the godly soul or even in a greater extent in the, in the, in the perfect tzaddik has become transformed. But when it comes to, when it comes to the, when it comes to the benini, not, the animal soul is not submitted. The animal soul has not given up. The animal soul has not changed. Nothing has altered. All that has happened is the opportunities are be, of expression are being denied to the animal soul. And so that person should see themselves as if they were a Russia. Like, who am I as a person? Am I a righteous person or a wicked person? I am a wicked person. For, because if it, would, if it would not be Hashem standing on my right side, if it would not be the clarity, right, that I have, right, this horrific thing inside me would come out. And the fact that it's not coming out is because of the kindness of Hashem, because of the clarity that I've achieved through my davening. But, you know, the tiger in the cage is still a tiger, Tigers are the only animals I think that you can never ever trust. No matter how domesticated they are. Tigers are, are very under, Tigers are fundamentally antisocial creatures. Did you know that? Tigers can't even stand other tigers. Mm. <laughs> I can find you in your sense of cruelty. What? <laughs> <laughs> Should we strike that from the record, or, or do you want to provide context? <laughs> okay, now, now I do want to point something out, which is very important. Okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. There's a mitzvah in the Torah of not wearing long linen. What is the proper mindset to have about not wearing long linen? Is it A, wool and linen is so uncomfortable and so unfashionable 
thank God Hashem gave us the wisdom not to wear it. Or, woolen linen seems like a perfect reasonable combination, right? The linen adds a sturdiness the, 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 to, the, to, to the garment, right? And that's why you use it for lining. And the wool, right, is very, you know, has a, holds up well. It's nice and presentable, right? But what am I to do? Hashem, my God, does not allow me to wear woolen linen, so I won't. Which is the proper mindset to have with that mitzvah? Second. The second one, right? Um, what about theft? Yeah. Is the proper mindset to have, well, you know, of course, everything that I see really is for my benefit and the fact that other people have the possession is a mere inconvenience. But due to my devout nature and the fact that I obey God in all matters, I will abstain from taking other people's property because God wills it. But if we're up to me, of course, I would just take everything I get and get away with because, of course, the world is my oyster. Is that the proper way of observing the mitzvah of not stealing? Why not? Me-centered rather than Hashem-centered. That's pretty Hashem-centered. It's like, I would steal, but Hashem said not, so I'm not going to steal. What's wrong with that? Wouldn't some people say that that's the ideal way to do mitzvahs? Because it's not no. at all No, no, no. Are mitzvahs supposed to like refine us to a certain extent? I want you to look, what's wrong with a person saying, I would steal, I don't see anything wrong with it, but God said no, so I'm not going to do it. What's wrong with that? Yeah, not everyone's okay with stealing. What? Not everyone's like, okay with Everyone's stealing. okay with stealing. But also... Deep down inside. Kind of, we go... I don't know. I think that if we want to be more of a godly being and like have more influence from our godly soul... Our godly soul knows that whatever it is that Hashem says should be done is the truth. So there shouldn't be any aspect of like, well, I disagree. Well, then we go back to the woolen linen thing then, right? Then I should see woolen linen as like unfashionable and undesirable to wear, not just forbidden. Yeah, that's probably not like the divine reasoning behind it. You're probably not about being fashionable, but still like a neat thing, right? It's like, I want to be fashionable. Okay, so the thing to understand about godliness is that godliness operates on two levels. There's a level of godliness where God, it can be said to be, transcend the human condition. That what it is to be godly is to be beyond a human being. And then there's another way in which the godliness is something that a human being is supposed to um, reflect, right? We're created in the image of Hashem. So it, there's a question about mitzvahs. Are mitzvahs really meant to reveal God's transcendence or do they reveal the way in which we're created in His image? And so the simple answer is that some mitzvahs focus on one, some mitzvahs focus on the other. So some mitzvahs bring out the transcendence of Hashem and therefore the mitzvah is something that is really not supposed to resonate with yourself as a human being. In other words, that doing the mitzvah is an acknowledgement of Hashem transcending um, the human psyche, like not wearing one linen. But other mitzvahs are about that a human being is supposed to um, live in the image of God. And so if you would say like, oh, I would steal, but Hashem said no, you've, you, you, you're, you're in some sense corrupting the mitzvah. 
right? As you said, we're supposed to be godly. So the wrongness of stealing is something that's supposed to penetrate us and permeate us, okay? Now, is the altar of saying that a person is always going to forever in life feel that stealing is an okay thing and they just don't do it because Hashem said no? He's not saying that. But why would a person steal? Or why would a person think stealing is okay? What's the underlying reason why a person thinks stealing is okay? I need this and the other person doesn't. I won't hurt them by consent. Well, I mean, but you might. You might really hurt them. Right. My needs are more important than their needs. Right? Has that really changed in the Bainini? Has their animal soul in, in any way really changed that sense that my needs are more important than the other person's needs? No. What's happening is that it's over being ridden by a sense of the mind, the seichel, to be aware of the truth, the truth of morality, the truth of Torah, the truth of God. And that is reshaping things on a kind of an external level, but deep down inside, right? which is why if you strip all of that away, what would come out? That, that, that same thing. So, so, so it, it's, when we say that this person is wicked, we're talking about the, the fundamental essence of the wickedness, not how it's manifest. Because how it's manifest... I mean, if you suppress something, right, it may, it may not manifest in a particular way. And that's when the altar says later on that little by little the person becomes holy. Little by little, certain avenues of expression become cut off from the animal soul because it just, those are not seen, the, Hashem no longer, no longer gives the animal soul the opportunity to express itself in that way. So a person gets to a point where they would never steal. Um, that the wrongness of it just seems so wrong. They would never steal. But the underlying sense that like of why a person says that my what I my needs are more important than your needs doesn't go away. It just metamorphosizes into something more refined. One second. So what are you doing when you're making your animal soul more holy? You're just you're you're affecting the way it can express itself the manner in which it presents itself. But not, it's un, not, what's, not what's really underlying driving it. And so there's, 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 there's a lot of... It, it's not... It, it's, it's all something which is... It's all something which has, which, is, which has been kind of being artificially shaped and has to be maintained. And that's why... When you, when you, when the person get the one that that's why it's possible for it to all fall apart. Okay? That's also why it's possible for a person to so slip away out of it. Right? It hasn't fundamentally changed. It hasn't fundamentally been altered. The underlying raw material that leads a person to the most horrific things, whether it's in the sense of between them and God or between them and another person, is still there, unchanged and no less powerful and no less driven. It's just that its ability to control our behavior or which particular avenues of expressions it have have been curtailed. And so sometimes the animal soul comes in a very righteous garb. It comes 
presenting itself as a very, you know, very religious and very focused on Hashem and Torah and mitzvahs. Because that's the avenue that, it's, that, that is most accessible in that person. So for instance, um, you know, the, the, the idea that a person can be spiteful and vengeful because they feel that they're defending the glory of Torah and mitzvahs, the importance of, the, of, of, of Hashem. And really that's just, you know, that's just basic arrogance. But in that person, it's not manifest as you know bragging about how much money they have or something like that or trying. It's, it's, it, it takes on a different form. But if the desires of the animal soul are shifting because it's been convinced and manipulated and you know persuaded, isn't that? And it's not just a, it's not just an expression. It's actually it's. Desire. But what does it fundamentally desire? It's own. It's own. The, the animal soul fundamentally desires pleasure. It's own pleasure. Power, significance, yeah. control. Okay. Those haven't changed. I see that. Yeah. At all? Not even a little bit. It's actually a relief. <laughs> no, it is because, like, I could judge my animal, like, why do I want to do this for God? I really want to do it for me. Why do I want to do it for God? Because it's the animal's soul. Right, right. Oh, so that's the thing. It's also, it's a relief because, like, oh, well, then. Right, going back to the, you don't need to, like, imagine like the silliness of the chassid looking at the horse and it's like, you know, there's a problem. How come the horse doesn't want to go to Lubavitch to see the Rebbe? It's like, that's, it's because it's a horse. Like, it's about, like, like, as long as it's going, what's the big deal? I can't make the horse want to do this for God. It's like impossible. Right, now, so in other words, we have to understand there's a difference between revealing the godly soul and revealing godly soul in the way that it is actually not just it's able to curtail the animal soul, it's able to give the animal, to shape the animal soul's um, involvement in life, but the godly soul is never going to make the animal not the animal. And yeah, and you know what? If you, if, if you, if you let go of the reins, don't expect the animal to act any different than the animal acts. Like for the right reasons that we were saying before, represent uh, like express the fact that we're in Hashem's image. Well, the idea is that you see stealing as wrong, means that in some sense you're like Hashem. He sees it wrong, you see it as wrong. Okay, but now I want to go back there. When your animal soul sees sees that stealing is wrong, what it sees about it's wrong has again to do from the animal perspective. Right? If, if I steal from you, you'll steal from me. It'll break down society, right? Right? It's debasing. Like, it makes you, it makes you focused on things that are such te- so temporary, so transitory value, right? Real things of value aren't, you know, aren't achieved through stealing. But you're not really getting at what's... You're not really getting it from the godly perspective at all. Right? There's a, there's a famous teaching in the Gemara where the Gemara says that if Hashem had not, God forbid, given the Torah to the Jewish people, we would have learned honesty from the ants, modesty from the cats, etc., etc. So, one of the ways that's understood is that if Hashem hadn't given us the Torah, we would have learned honesty from the ants. So we would be honest, but we'd be like sophisticated ants. Why are ants honest? Ants are honest. 
They're extremely <laughs> honest. Yes. Because there's some diligence. What? Because there's some diligence. No, ant, you, ants are on. Ants, ants being communal insects, do not touch things that don't belong to them. Only mm-hmm. they don't. One ant will not touch something that doesn't belong to it. Wow. So if you have an ant drop something, the other ants will smell that. That first ant picked it up. They won't pick it up. Because you can't run a community if everybody's grabbing the same thing. It's like pretty obvious, right? Imagine there's like one crumb, right? And 20 ants go to that crumb. How many crumbs make it back? But if the minute one ant smells that, one, that the first ant touched that crumb, then it doesn't touch that crumb. It goes for another crumb. Now you have 20 ants. How many crumbs make it back to the nest? 20 crumbs. So Hashem imbued them with the nature, to be honest. Could we study that and observe and realize that honesty is a very effective way of running a society, running community? Yeah. And we would just be very intelligent ants. Right? We could, we, being, being deep and philosophical, we would add some like meaning and some higher stuff, but like basically we would just be sophisticated ants. Right? So we could find all sorts of appropriate conduct that is the conduct is the way Hashem wants us to act, but we would be acting that way not because of any sensitivity to God, but just as an appreciation of how this brings about to a kind of betterment of the human condition. Okay? But that's, so, so you know, which means at the end of the day, we haven't really touched at the fundamental animal nature, right? A person who understands that being honest is really important and without it, society will break down and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, hasn't really addressed their animal nature. And their love of Hashem, of the godly soul, is the love of Hashem of the godly soul. It's not the love of Hashem of the animal soul. The animal soul loves Hashem. It's loving Hashem on animalistic reasons. So nothing has really changed. Nothing has really been altered. And, you know, the, 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 there's an old story that's brought... Um, that there was a, a debate between one of the great Jewish sages. Different people tell a story about different Jewish sages. One of these stories, which is, you know, nobody knows if it happened, but it illustrates a good point. Some said about the Rambam, some people were saying about the Ibshitz, whatever. That there was a debate between the Jewish sage and the courtiers of the king who wanted to embarrass him. And so the, the courtiers claimed that animals can change their nature. And the Jewish sage said they cannot. And so they made a test. They were going to train a bunch of cats to act as waiters in a banquet. And the cats were trained, and they bring in the food, and they're dressed in their little, you know, their little costumes, and they bring in the food, and they do everything appropriately, well-trained animals. And um, then the Jewish sage takes out a, a, a small box with a mouse, and all the cats drop the plates and chase the mouse. But we're the cat. And it's the godly soul that's keeping us, like, keeping us the sense that that mouse is very far away so it doesn't trigger us. But deep down, the, the animal soul is just as driven and just as devoted and just as attached to all the unholy things it was before. And the fact, therefore, that, that when you get it on board to serve Hashem, it still looks like an animal, shouldn't shock you. And therefore, the person should think of themselves as a Russia, like a Russia. There's really no difference. There's, what's the difference between me and... The main neighbor at work who got caught with the Ponzi scheme. What's the difference between me and you know the person who's living a double life? And the only difference is that by me, I managed to keep it inside. And they decided to let it out. 
which is a difference. I'm not saying that doesn't count for anything, it counts for a lot, right? But that's the difference. In the words of our sages, even if the world tells you you're righteous in your own eyes, you would consider yourself as if you're wicked, not actually wicked. Because actually wicked is a choice, the choice to allow yourself to act according to the dictates of the animal soul, right? So there's like you're wicked as if you're wicked versus being actually wicked. Actually wicked is when the person does something or says something or thinks something based on the animal soul when they could have stopped themselves. But the fact that you don't do that, the fact that we, we the, right, even if the person gets to the point where they never do that because it's so clear to them, right? They're, they're, they've, they've achieved that clarity from the davening or Shem's helping the bainani, the, the kind of person they are inside is no different from the actual sinner. So, but once you consider himself to be a bainani and not accept the world's opinion, which haven't believed that the evil in him has been dissolved by the good, which is the category of a tzaddik. Rather, should he consider himself in his own estimation as if the very essence of evil is in its full strength and might in the left part as from birth, and that nothing of it has ceased or departed. So people say, oh, you're so holy, right? You're so this, you're so that. Like, like, and this is even of a person who genuinely, objectively, not only never sins, but could never bring themselves to sin because that clarity about the truth of reality is in their face at every moment, right? The imprint of the davening is in their mind, is in their, in their heart or Hashem is standing on the right side. Nonetheless, despite that, objectively speaking, they're never, they could never bring themselves to do anything wrong. That's because it's being curtailed. It's because it's being locked away in a cage. Not because it's not there and not because it's any weaker than it was before. Yeah. You said something earlier that I'm not sure that I quite understand. You said that over time, if you... You cut off the channels of expression mm-hmm. um, to the animal soul. I missed the exact word you said. You didn't say transformed, but I don't know. It'll undergo a metamorphosis. Right. And, and I'm wondering, what exactly does that mean? Like, it's not going to be transformed. It's not going to be any less powerful, but it goes through a metamorphosis. I, I'm just not sure that. So let me just give you a, just like a general example. Our sages tell us that there are three things um, that destroy a person. Kina, taiva, and covet. Kina is jealousy, taiva is desire, and covet is honor. These destroy a person. A person has a desire for, um, a person is jealous, a person has desires, they have lusts, and a person wants respect, they want honor, they want social power, position. So the, the, there are commentators who say that, that, that in general, these are actually in an order that through life, people tend to progress from one to the other. Um, so when, when you're young, when you're a little kid, do you actually have real desires? And the answer is not really. I may have talked about this before. But a little kid, um, what do they want? What do little kids want? Little kids want what other people have. Right? So it's a common thing, right? One kid is playing with a toy. The other kid sees the toy and wants the toy. Right? You try and offer them something else, they don't want it. Okay. Then somehow the first kid's done with the toy, so now you give the second kid the toy, and the first kid goes off to something else. Now they don't want the toy, they want whatever the first kid has, right? 
In other words, that if you think about it, what, that, that you, don't, you don't have a desire for something. The desire is simply that the fact that someone else has it, that's what gives it value to you. Now, you can see how destructive that is, right? As a person gets older, they start to acquire a taste for things that they want, independent, right? They, 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 be, they develop their own interests, their own hobbies, their own passions. That they have their own desires, right? And what happens when they get those desires met? They want more of it and more of it and more of it. Like our sages say, whoever has 100 wants 200. But it's not so much that what everyone else has. Does that make sense, the difference between desire and jealousy? Okay. Um, eventually, a person matures and, like, there's only so much chocolate cake you can eat. There's only so many times you can go riding in a fancy car. Like, there's only so much you can enjoy in life. You ever wonder why um, really rich people want to make a lot of money? You ever notice it? Like, 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 why are really rich people trying to make a lot of money? It's never enough. Why? What do you get at? Like, like, I understand. Like, I would understand having a lot. Like, I could easily, like, like, if I, if I increased the amount of money I had by an order of magnitude, by two orders of magnitude, I could definitely see what I could do with it. Three orders of magnitude, now I have to start getting creative. Like, what would I do if I had three orders of magnitude? More money, right? But like, maybe. But like, you have people who have, you know, a billion dollars. Like, wh- why are they like trying to make more money? That's become their sense of worth. There's a list. There's a list. Are you number one on the list? Are you number two on the list? Are you number three on the list? I remember there's one of these famous rich people displaced Bill Gates a few years ago and he like made a big deal. I'm now rich than Bill Gates. Like, like there is nothing changing your quality of life whatsoever other than the fact you're number one on this list. Yeah. So now it's like, yeah. So the two-year-old, he's like, I want the truck. And the other kid's done with the truck. They give him the truck. And then he sees now the other kid's with the book. No, I don't want the truck. I want the book, right? Yeah. The hot-blooded teenager, you know, person in their 20s, right? They want to they wanna live it up and enjoy life, right? But then you have the 70-year-old who's like, ah, chutzpah? They cut me in line. And for 20 minutes, like, how could they? Who do they think they are cutting me in line, right? What, what was important about the line? It's not about the line. It's about the, it's not about, it's like the line. Was to, the line was to get to a place where you could sit for something else. Like, didn't matter at all. But, like... They're like, in Yiddish there's an expression, ice mesh. They, they completely lost any semblance of maturity. Now you see some of like someone's 70, 80 years old, and they've lost it over like, because someone cut in front of you in line. The person who gets up every day, they eat the same like half a thing of cottage because like, they, like, like, eh, like, you know, you know, like, like, they've lived life already, okay? Like, and yet, someone cut me off in line. It's like that sense that I need to be seen as important, as significant, right? So you move through stage in life, like which one is more... Obviously, any stage in life, you could have any of them, but there's this kind of progression and development as a person grows and experiences. Is that a genuine change in the animal soul? To go from jealousy to lust to being obsessed with your own personal dignity? 
It's not really a fundamental change, right? It is a change, right? It's, there's a metamorphosis in how it's expressed, but it's not fundamentally the person is just wrapped up with themselves. The previous rabbi gives an example of someone who calls a bal gaiva pnimi, a, a, a inner... A, a, the word pnimi is like, it's hard to translate. Bal gaiva means an arrogant person, and pnimi means it, it's very internalized. Their arrogance is deeply internalized. So what does a Balgaiva Pnimi look like? It's a person who acts properly. They're kind. They're generous. They're sensitive. They're wise. They're understanding. Everything. Like all this stuff, right? And they're constantly working and improving on that and really and inside it eats them up that people don't recognize how amazing they are. How what? How amazing they are. It eats at them. How come people don't realize that I'm God's gift to mankind? So, who, like, the arrogance doesn't come out to anybody else. Nobody else knows about it. But inside, right, there's this sense like, but don't they know how nice I am? Don't they know how wise I am? And it's consuming them. So, has anything really changed on some fundamental level? No, but the way expressions, yes. So again, there's two issues here. There's the way the animal soul would try to express itself, and it doesn't have the ability to influence your thought, speech, and action. What makes the person a bainani is that the clarity of, of godliness, right, radiating through the godly soul, doesn't allow the animal soul to have any influence on the decisions we make about what we're going to do, what we're going to say, and what we're going to think about. And even which emotions we are going to embrace and fully identify with. And over time, it could also be the animal soul changes what modes it presents itself in. But fundamentally, that attachment to klipa has not weakened in any way. has not altered in any way. And therefore, really, there's nothing intrinsic about this person that prevents them from being the lowest of the low. Nothing has changed in that regard. So when we're talking about the being an actual Russia, which is the decision to forego control to the animal soul, this person is not a Russia. But if we want to talk about the character of the person, what kind of person they are, they're fundamentally just like the Russia. There's nothing about them that makes them anything different. All right. Now one more optimistic thing. On the contrary, with the passing of time, it, meaning the animal soul, has gained strength. It's not just that your animal soul has stayed the same. In fact, it's gotten worse. Why? Because the man has indulged it considerably in eating and drinking and other mundane pursuits. The very act of living, if you're not a tzaddik, does what to your attachment to klipa? What strengthens the animal soul, right? There was, there was, there's a, a, a mashpia, a, a Chabad a mentor, teacher. Um, he's now, he's like 70s or something. So he wanted to, when he was 12 years old, he wanted to go to yeshiva. He's quite brilliant, quite gifted, but he wanted to go to yeshiva when he was 12. Now, yeshiva's not, 12 year old, he's a little young for going to yeshiva. Yeshiva's 15 years old, 14 years old. 12 was kind of young. Um, but the, the mashpia of the yeshiva, his name was Shlomo Chaim Kesselman, he, had, was, was, he is originally from Russia. He had escaped the communists, made it to Israel. 
And he, he decided to accept the Bachar, this 12-year-old. Was he Mar Mitzvah to, to the Yeshivas? 14, 15-year-olds was the youngest age. And she made it for Bregen. But the Bachram, about why he's accepting this Bachar, why he's accepting this 12-year-old. And he said, he's what, he's two years younger than you? So how many plates of breakfast and dinner has he not eaten that you've eaten? Mm-hmm. Means whose animal soul is less opposed, less of a challenge? You think you're so much better in the country. There's more, there's more, there's more for an older person to overcome. Their animal soul is coarser, it's thicker, it's more entrenched. The closest, the most, the most sublime a non-sadic has ever been, the most free of the animal soul they've ever been, of its influences, was the moment they were born. After that, it's all downhill. <laughs> by baby, by non-sadic. Sadic is different. It's all downhill. Right? In other words, if, in other words you, we have to just give up this notion of weakening the animal soul as the path in life. It's not happening. The animal soul is not getting weaker. On the contrary, the mere fact that we eat, we sleep, we go to the bathroom, we, we, we buy clothes, we, we, we make investments for our, for our financial future, all these kinds of stuff, which are not forbidden, right? They're not bad things to do. They can't even be done for the Shem Shemaim. But what do they all do? They reinforce and strengthen the animal soul. So the animal soul does not become more refined over time. If anything, it's the opposite. So, I want to just think about this for a second. If weakening the animal soul is not really the focus, then what's going to have to be the focus? What? Strengthening God's soul. And that's what he said. The whole time he's about the whole davening, the, the Hashem standing on the right side, right? We spoke about earlier. And we're going to talk about in chapter 14 where he's going to tell us how we should act and live our lives like a Benini. The, the whole Tanya, the whole Chazidus is about, well, if you can't get the enemy to be weaker, in fact, the enemy keeps getting stronger, then maybe you should shift to focus on what? Making sure that you're stronger than it. Which means if your animal soul is not strengthening itself in a way that keeps pace with the animal soul, the Gala is not strengthening itself in a way that keeps pace with the animal soul, what should you expect to happen? If the godly soul is not keeping strength with the pace that the animal soul is gaining strength, what should you expect to happen? The animal soul outgrow the godly soul. Right? Okay. Questions? Yeah. Um, you said weakening the animal soul isn't the focus, but like so many people try to do that. As my father likes to say, everyone has the right to be wrong. <laughs> no, but what I mean is like um the idea of like not overindulging and like the whole like um is kafia is thing like that sounds like it's trying to do that to weaken your animal soul. So th- there's a so the, the there's a lot of reasons why a person shouldn't indulge in things. Okay, um, 
but without making it very overly complicated. You, there's a very big difference between thinking that you can succeed by following a failed strategy versus re- realizing that some particular thing is beneficial even though it can't be your overall strategy. I'll explain to you. There's a concrete example, okay? Can you succeed in school by relying on somebody else's notes and going over them with you? Like, if that is your strategy, can you succeed in school that way? Not like yeah, you could. You're not all, that's all you're going to do. That's your strategy. Your strategy is I'm not going to pay attention. They'll take the notes. Yeah, you can, still, you can yeah. still succeed. How far can you get that way? Get pretty far. Well, what, when you, what happens when you encounter classes where you have to actually formulate material yourself? Like you have to write an essay. And all you're doing is do, doing, they're going over their notes with you. It's not going to work that way. What actually should be the strategy of doing well in school? If you want to do well in school. I'm not saying you should do well in school, but if you want to do well in school, what should be the strategy? Internalizing. To actually understand, right? There, whatever is being taught, I need to actually understand it, right? And now, understanding has lots of elements to it, right? My strategy is actual understanding, because understanding is what keeps retention, right? Just, you know, I mean, there's a certain amount of just memorizing brute facts, which is true, but overall... If you really understand things, you will retain things, you will be able to apply them, and that is a person who will get successful in school, right? Um, and my wife is an English teacher, she teaches grammar, right? If you just blindly memorize grammar rules, right, you get them right most of the time, right? But if you get a feel, you work with them, so you get a feel for them, right? Then you will use them correctly almost all the time. Right? And when you're using them incorrectly, it's a, it's like, it's a way that maybe is not, is, 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 is almost a way that it's arguable whether it's totally incorrect because if you're using it incorrectly, maybe there's a lot of other people who can get into it. The idea of, you know, maybe there's subgenres in the grammar, but okay. Does that mean there's no place for having someone, relying on someone else's note-taking skills and going over their notes with them? Does that mean there's no place for such an activity ever? No, it doesn't mean that, right? As, 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 as a particular tactic, it's very useful, but that can't be the overall strategy. Does that make sense? Is depriving your animal soul of things an important tactic in serving Hashem? Sure. When, how, what, there's a lot of discussion about that. But can that be the strategy that I'm going to defeat my animal soul by weakening it? No. The overall strategy is what? One of strengthening the godly soul. Within that overall strategy, is there a place for doing things that directly attack the animal soul? Sure, there's a place for that. But, but that's a tactical thing. That's a specific technique. It's not the overall approach. Now, that, because, because ultimately, you, unless you're going to be a tzaddik, you can never get to a point where you free yourself of the animal perspective. It's just not going to happen. 
but if we're saying that you can never weaken at all your nefesh alamis, then you're basically doing something useless. It's not like going over someone's nose. But you're not. Well, it's not that you're trying to weaken it. It's that you're chapter, not so no, trying to strengthen it. One second, one second. No, you're asking a very good question, which Alter asks in chapter 27 and slightly differently in, 20, in 35, which is what's the point of being a banyan? It's a very fair question. What's the point of encountering this animal soul if you're actually not going to succeed in, in changing it in any real way? He asks the question. He actually gives two different answers because the question has actually two different elements to it. Um, but I don't... But, but, in fact, the second time he asks in chapter 35, the answer becomes... involves like totally redefining our entire understanding of what it means to connect to Hashem and that takes chapter 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40 to fully round out and understand the answer to that question. But that's... I'm not going to answer the question right now. It's a fair question. But the Altarba's point, the Altarba's point that comes out of this, what we're learning right now is that a Bainini is not someone who hasn't... It's not that a, a... a, a Baini hasn't weakened his animal soul enough to reach the level of tzaddik. He hasn't weakened the animal soul at all. And whatever place there is for um, skafia, subjugating the animal soul, and depriving it all these things and attacking it, these are all tactical things, technical things, techniques in the overall strategy of strengthening the godly soul. But the only way to genuinely weaken the animal soul is to experience the revelation of God that a tzaddik experiences, and if you're not going to experience that, then you've made zero progress in that regard. Yeah. So, can we, and it's maybe a later chapter, love, experience love of Hashem from our godly soul? Like Absolutely. We, I mean, nobody can experience the clarity, but we can experience yeah, yeah. love. No, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. That's that, during davening, the Bainini does experience that, right? The Bainini Dabins properly, they can achieve that state, but it's a temporary state. They experience it. And it's not self-oriented. It's... But that's, a, that's an experience they have. It's not something that they stays with them. All right. We'll stop here. Tomorrow, we'll learn about a new kind of Bainini. So we had two types right right? We had the like, kind of classic kind who fluctuates between feeling the love of the godly soul so totally that there's no experience of the animal soul during davening, and then the imprint that, that left on their mind and their heart that allows them to, to live a life devoted to Hashem through the mind ruling the heart. Then we have the Baini who hasn't davened, right? But because they're struggling to maintain a balance of power between the experiences of their Yetzirah, Yetzirah Tov, the godly soul and animal soul, Hashem comes to provide that extra clarity to the God, of the godly soul that tips the scale and brings them to a state of, 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 of truth, right? That's the idea that Hashem stands on the right side of the impoverished, right? Um, and, but that fundamentally the animal soul in neither of those cases is actually being weakened in any way. It's not, in its own space, on its own terms, nothing has changed. All that's changed is its ability to influence the person's behavior, the degree to which it's curtailed, and later on, we'll talk about also the fact that its manifestation might be transformed, that it will express itself in, in more palatable ways for that person. Maybe not so crass and so coarse, but it never, it never becomes any more fundamentally attuned to Hashem. In that respect, the, not more attuned to Hashem. 
in that respect, the, the Benini and the lowest Russia are in some sense, in that certain sense, in the same place. That their animal soul is just as antagonistic to Hashem, regardless of all of the work that they were doing. Which is a theme that will return to later on as well, to help humble us. All right, tomorrow we will learn about the new kind of Benini. The Benini who never feels his animal soul.